Welcome to Make It Simple, where we take complicated issues and, with the help of an expert, break them down into ideas we can understand, truths we can apply, and questions worth pondering. I'm your host, Matt Popovitz, and with me, as always, is my co-host and friend, Rachel Ryder. Rachel, it's great to be with you today. It's great to be here today, Matt. I slept well. I had a good breakfast. I'm feeling good. Well, good. I hope so, because we are getting to talk to someone that we love to talk with. Uh, Tell our audience, who are we chatting with today? We are speaking with Mike Pacchione, and he is a friend, and we have collaborated with him on a few things, and I am just so glad that he is joining us today. Yeah, we've yet to introduce the Make It Simple audience to Mike, but I'm so glad we finally get to make that introduction because Mike, as you're about to discover, is a tremendous human being. And and we are, yeah, yeah. So, so so what's Mike's expertise? What are we talking about today, Rachel? We're talking about um, public speaking or just presenting, and it's just speaking. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, This is Mike's specialty. Yeah, it's so so and I know you might be listening and saying, "Well, I'm not a professional speaker. How is this going to be helpful to me?" And and here's here's the thing. As we will get to in the interview, everybody has the opportunity to do some kind of presenting or public speaking in some way shape or form, be it be it at some community meeting where you're asked to present on some issue or, you know, maybe you maybe you'll have the opportunity, you never know, to stand up in front of a few hundred people and talk about yeah. something. And uh, so so we think this has relevance for everybody, in particular when you consider the fact that that everybody uh, it seems anyway, lists public speaking as one of their top fears. So I think this has application to everybody. Right. And Mike is someone we're talking to because Mike is a speaking expert who helps presenters find their voice on stage. He's worked with more than 10,000 speakers from companies all over the world, including giants like Google and Nike and Microsoft and Starbucks and the NSA. Mike knows what he's talking about. Yeah. He's also the host of the Best Speech Podcast. And you can check out uh, more of what Mike does at his website, bestspeech.co. So Rachel, what are you hoping we get from our conversation about public speaking with Mike Pacquion? You know, when we go into a conversation like this, when we're talking with a friend who I just know this is his wheelhouse, this is where he's comfortable, I just love to hear him talk about his expertise. And so I just want to ask him, um, I don't even have like a specific agenda. I just want to hear him share about something he's very passionate and excited about. Yeah. Yeah. Me, me too. I mean, he has so much expertise on this and, and, uh, what, what I want to ask him about is, is, is why is it that so many people, uh, struggle with the idea of getting up in front of another group of people and, right. and have, and, and, and speaking. Cause you know, I, I've, I have no shame, so I've never had any <laughs> issue with that. But when I talk to others, they're like, Oh, don't put eyes and attention on me. I don't want to talk in front of others. And yet it's, it's an opportunity that so many of us have um, so often, and many people shy away from it. And, and I also want to ask him if, if you are one who never lays hold of the opportunity to stand in front of a group of people and talk, what are you missing out on? Oh, sure. Because, because I believe, and I think Mike does too, that there is, there, there are great things to be discovered by facing that fear of speaking to a group of other people. So that and like a laundry list of other things I'm, I'm looking to uh, to dive into with Mike. So so what do you say we do it? Let's let's dive into our conversation about public speaking with Mike Pacquion. Let's do it. Mike, welcome to Make It Simple. It's so great to see you, my friend. Uh, buddy, it's been too long. Thanks for having me. Uh, we are excited to talk to you about something that, that a lot of people, I mean, it's no secret, a lot of people are terrified of. I mean, it's the, like the old adage, like the one thing everybody's most afraid of is public speaking. And so we wanted to have on, you know, who to us is the expert in public speaking, talk about this thing everybody's afraid of. Um, so, so, so let's start there. I want to dive right into the question with you, Mike. I don't want to waste a single second with you. Um, <laughs> what, 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 
Like, what is it about public speaking, whether you're talking to, you know, six people at a HOA meeting or you're speaking to, you know, 3000 people at some conference? What is it? What is it about public speaking that people find so terrifying? Well, first of all, I always debate that study a little bit about whether, come on, that's the thing people are most afraid of. (laughs) No way. I think I would love to see this survey that asked that question. Mm-hmm. I always, I mean, the joke I always make is I really doubt if there's someone out there who's stuck in a den of vipers and they're saying to themselves, like, well, <laughs> at least I'm not behind the podium right now. There's no <laughs> way, right? <laughs> exactly. But I do think, I do think when people are concerned about it, nervous, whatever term you want to put in there, the things they're nervous about, I, I think some of them are related to public speaking and some of them are not. I think most people don't prepare a whole lot and I can, I can talk a little bit about that. So that's not really public speaking's fault. I, mm. I am not someone who's had a whole lot of speech anxiety in my life. When I have, it's always been because I didn't do the work ahead of time. So that's essentially mm. the same anxiety that I would have if 20 people in a room instead of watching me on stage were watching me take a test. Like, yeah. <laughs> like the real problem is that I wasn't ready. So yeah. don't blame yeah. public speaking for that one. I think what most people are actually uncomfortable with is that they, they don't they don't like having all these eyes on them. And there's mm-hmm. the idea that everybody's watching me right now and they're sitting there judging me and they're they're yeah. oh my gosh, I can't believe that she wore that and I can't believe that she said that thing. I can't believe that he did this and why oh I can tell that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like all of, all of those voices enter your head pretty quickly. And if you're listening to this and that feel feels familiar, I do want to just try to bring you down from a 10 in anxiety down a little bit. It's unlikely that the audience, I don't want to say it's unlikely that they care, but it, it's unlikely that the audience really is that concerned about what you wore, why you're walking on stage, what slide three looked like. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is people get on stage feeling judged and all the audience really wants is something that they can pay attention to. The audience is rooting for you, but everybody treats yeah. it like the audience is rooting against you. It's really yeah. rare that the audience is rooting against you. Right. Yeah. And, and if you can, if you can step up there, wherever up there is with this understanding that look, more people in this room want me to succeed than fail. And, and they're, and, and they're actually on my side in this, you know, cause, cause they don't want to be a part of a boring meeting <laughs> and they, and they, yeah. and they want to have, you know, they want to have a, a you know, a, they, they want to be uh, an audience to a successful, entertaining speech, whatever it is. I mean, that that can take a lot of the energy out of your anxiety, right? It's just knowing like, okay, we're all, we all have the same objective here for this to be worthwhile. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like Matt, there's, it's, it's very unlikely when you're preaching on Sunday, it's very unlikely that someone's sitting there saying, man, I hope Matt screws up. I hope I'm bored. <laughs> I want this guy to go off the rails. That is really unlikely. Well, well you'd be surprised, sure. Mike. <laughs> So, so, so Mike, let, let's talk to, let, let's talk to that listener who, you know, maybe, maybe they're not stepping on a, a stage on a Sunday morning or, or on a platform at a conference, but they, they have some venue coming up yeah. where, where they're going to have to en- engage an audience of some size. It could be, you know, the, the Cub Scout group that they're leading and they got to, you know, prep them, prep them for the next camp out, whatever it is. The, the thought of standing in front of that even small group of people gives them some anxiety. So 
So what do you say to the person who's being told that they've got to give a talk to a small group at work or, or at church? What, what's the first thing they should do to prepare? Yeah, the first thing they should do to prepare is write down the reasons why the talk will go well. Hmm. So if someone, if someone is nervous, has anxiety, they feel like they're not the right person for the job, the first thing you really need to do is write down why you're the right person to deliver this talk. Wow. And uh, even when I say that, Probably a bunch of people get this imposter syndrome. Well, Matt should be giving it for me. But like, there's a reason why you were asked to do it. There's a reason why you were leading the Cub Scout meeting. There's a reason why you were the guest preacher. Whatever that venue is, mm. there's a reason why you were asked to do it. They didn't ask any random person to do it. So oh. I would start by writing down qualifications, stories that are unique to you, experience that's unique to you. And I always think it's good to write down things that don't have all that much to do with speaking but that are much harder than speaking because if you can, if you can couch it in this, as an example, I climb Mount St. Helens with a friend. I mean, I can climb Mount St. Helens, but like talking on stage with a subject that I know about, that's going to be the thing that phases me. Like, come on. Right. So I, I just bring that up because I, I need to get in the right mental space of thinking that I can do it. Instead of sitting there thinking somebody else is somebody else can or should be doing it. Yeah. Well, well that, that kind of leads me to, to my, to my, my next question, which is, you know, I think, I think some people, when they think of standing up in front of that, that audience, whatever that audience is, they think, well, well, do I even have anything to say? Mm-hmm. They may believe the invitation. They may believe that people chose them to speak for a good reason in the, in the person's mind who chose them. Right. But, but when they get inside their own heart and mind, they go, well, but do I have anything worth saying? So, so my, so my, like my next question to you, Mike, is when you work with someone as, as, a, as, a, as a speaking coach, how do you help them discover their own voice, their message for that talk, the, the thing that they've got to say? Does it start with that list of reasons why you should be here? Yeah, that's a good starting point. But after that, I mean, at some point you need to start writing the speech, right? Which I think is, yeah. is the, the heart of your question. I will say even the famous people that I've worked with, Usually, not always, but usually there comes a point where they wonder, do people know this already? Is this too Mm. basic? Yeah. When that happens, I mean, sure, that's possible. I mean, most of the time that happens because we're an expert on something. And to us, it's like, wait a minute, people don't know this. I mean, I I feel that way sometimes. Just sometimes I have to talk about eye contact. And I always have to remind myself, not everybody knows this stuff. Because to me, Mm. it's like, yeah, you make eye contact. You look around the room. You don't do it in a pattern, right? Like to me, those things are obvious, but not everybody has spent thousands of hours presenting in front of people, right? So, True. so anyway, all that to say, for me, uh, it's not usually the first call, but at some point, like it is pretty common for people to think this is too basic. I don't know if I'm saying anything that's strong. So when you hit that point, one of the best things you can do is to find someone in your desired audience and ask them what they already know on the topic. And you are mm. probably going to find that what you're presenting is above the level. And I, I don't mean above like they can't digest it, but it's, it's, it's a step up from what they already know. Wow. So and when, once you've heard it from somebody else, it's a lot easier to proceed because you, you can always go back to that and say, oh, yeah, I was talking to Rachel that time. And she didn't know this already. And Rachel's pretty smart and da 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 And that's just like a little reminder in your head. But it's really, really common for people to feel like this is basic I don't know if this is anything special to say. I get that. I've done it too. The more that you can 
get out of your own head and think like your audience and even talk to your audience, the better shape that you're going to be. Yeah. So I think, I feel like so far we've talked a lot about the mentality, like the, the mindset you have to have going into a, a speech, but then you started to say something about eye contact. And I was like, I actually want to know, like, what are some of your like nuts and bolts foundations of giving a good speech or, or, or presentation? Yeah. I, when you ask about that, are you asking about the, the writing component or the being on stage and delivering it? The actual, I think. I'm interested in the actual delivering. Like, what are some of those things where you're like, whether you're, again, you know, in front of 20 people at your HOA or you're presenting to a Zoom class, like, what are some things that I should keep in mind? Because like, I forget eye contact. And when I talk, Mm. I'm, I'm here and I'm there and I'm, I'm all over in the sky. And I, like you said that. So I was like, Mm. oh, it is obvious, but it's been 20 years since I've taken a speech class or, or anything like that. So. See, that's a good thing for me to remember. Yeah. It's been 20 years since Rachel, someone who knows this stuff. Right. Taking a speech class. Yeah. Uh, okay. In terms of delivery, I think that the thing that people struggle with them, uh, I don't know if I want to say struggle with the most people who are beyond beginner level. So someone who's, who's giving speeches a bit, they're not totally freaking out. They don't break out in sweat when they get on stage. Right. But they're not fully confident either. I think, I think the thing that people that I can most easily see that the trait that gives me that clue is they're afraid of silence. And that's true on virtual, in person, wherever. You know, there's an interesting thing. There's a there's a company called Gong in the Bay Area, and I love citing this. So they've used AI to analyze all kinds of different sales calls. And one of the things that they looked for is uh, what the how different salespeople used silence. So the people who were fine at sales, they didn't get fired or anything, but just the regular salespeople, when they would say a price they were comfortable with about a second of silence or less. And you can imagine that. And this costs $9.97. Uh, but actually, uh, right, you know, like he, uh, we've probably all done that at some point. It costs $997. Uh, but, but if you can't afford that, then then I'm happy to, to – what can you afford? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm financing for you because I'm uncomfortable with just letting the price hang out there. But the, you, what you've probably guessed already – the people who were the best salespeople were the ones who were comfortable with silence. And they were willing to name the price and sit there in silence for two seconds or more. Uh, I'm right, sure there's a, right. a level where it's too much. Yeah. But that makes sense, doesn't it? Someone who's really confident in their product or, or the, the tagline that yeah. they just dropped is willing to just let it hang out there in silence instead of right. putting it out there and, and immediately trying to take it back, which is what we do when we just keep talking and talking and talking. Well, not having silence almost sounds like you're apologizing for what you're saying. Like giving mm. silence is like like owning the, I don't know, like you have the confidence in what you just said so you can have let it linger for a second. And that's where a lot of people, you know, I, I think too much attention on public speaking is devoted to, oh, he said, um, oh, yeah. she said, um, <laughs> I don't, honestly, when I coach people, I, I'm really not worried about that unless it's getting in the way of a powerful statement. Or it's, it's becoming so patterned that it's distracting. But I bring this up because a lot of times the, the fear of silence is when I start putting out, is when I start talking, I say it's 997, um, uh, like, so. And, and I'm really inserting that because the idea of it being silent for 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, like that totally freaks me out. So silence, I think, is the, the first semi-advanced thing that comes to mind when you ask that, Rachel. And, and my thing, 
that always clues me into the confidence level of the person on stage when they're not comfortable with silence after an important statement. So, okay, here's another thing with silence. I have encountered so many people who once upon a time, their boss or their public speaking teacher or someone at Toastmasters told them you talk too fast. I get why that is said, but it's, that's not actually what the person means. I know it's what they think they mean, but it's not actually what they mean because you can talk really fast and the human brain can process it. Right now, there's someone listening to this podcast at 1.25, 1.52x. So I, I, obviously, like the brain is capable of processing what I'm saying, you're saying, Rachel's saying, anybody's saying. So what, what does that mean? Well, when you talk, when you quote unquote talk too fast, what it actually means is you did not give the audience a chance to catch up. So you didn't pause long enough to where the audience could catch up to what you're saying. And the example I always point people to, if you watch Adam Driver's TED Talk, Adam Driver, like the actor who plays Kylo Ren in the Star Wars movies, he talks super fast, but you can follow him easily because whether he's doing it consciously, maybe he's just trained, he's an actor, he gives the audience a chance to catch up, even though he is speaking so, so fast. So I bring that up. Because if you have been told, quote unquote, you speak too fast, what that really means is you just have to, when you get to the end of a sentence, mentally say to yourself, I need to pause for a second. Now I'm going to start again. And your audience will be able to, yeah, your audience will be able to track with what you're saying. Here's the other thing that does for you. Assuming you're presenting live, I think we're all familiar with, (laughs) sometimes we present live, we look out at the audience and they've got a confused look on their face or they're looking away and that just crushes your confidence. And that's, and that's really troubling because it's like I'm already feeling the butterflies. I look at it, the audience that is, is telling me those butterflies are valid. And then they, that makes me sink even deeper into the pit of despair. So if, if I'm able to take a pause, then the audience is not going to give me that nonverbal feedback. And maybe, just maybe, I can feel a bit more confident in what I'm proceeding with. And again, I, I say that not assuming that everybody who quote unquote speaks too fast is an incredibly nervous person who hates public speaking. But I think most people are in this middle range where it's not their favorite thing. They will tolerate it. It's okay. And I I think if that person were able to take the same exact words that they have written down and present them in a way where they are more confident, they have more calmness inside them, they would feel a lot better about public speaking. So Mike, what is somebody missing out on if they never take the opportunity to to speak in public, to, to stand in front of a group and, and give a talk, give a speech. Uh, I mean, so many people just, they, they run from that because they, they want nothing to do with it. But, but when, when I hear you talk about it, I, I feel like you're saying, you know, this is something that everybody should give, give, give a chance. They, 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 should, they should try this. So, so if somebody doesn't ever give a speech, what, what, are they, what are they missing out on if they don't take those opportunities? Yeah, I mean, on an emotional level, I feel like you never know what you're capable of is one thing that jumps to mind. Uh, you know, we've all been created to be these these people with talents and hopes and dreams and purpose. And there, there are probably some exceptions to what I'm about to say. But for the most part, speaking is a place for you to find out how you meet the challenge and, and what you're made of within that. I love it for that reason. You get to do this thing that everybody, that most people don't like. Some people hate and you get to look that in the eye and say, I can do this. That's the best. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you and I are both Jesus people. And the Bible talks so much about fear. What's the verse from Isaiah that you so quoted good. me? Yeah, it's, it's Isaiah 41. 
uh, which which basically talks about you know fear not, the Lord has you, and He will protect you, and and He will uh, watch over you. And there, there's nothing there that there's no dot 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 unless you're on a stage, right? Like, <laughs> like that, it, it exists regardless. That's right. Yeah. No, it's at all times. <laughs> yeah, at all times. It's a great opportunity to to look fear in the face and say, I can do this. Now, listen. There's more to it than that. Obviously, you need to know how to get ready and know what a good speech looks like. But I, I really think the greatest gift you can give your audience is, is if you can be present with them. Sounds easy enough. That can only happen if you know what you're talking about, if you know how to calm yourself down, and you know that your audience is rooting for you. But if you have all, if you have those three things, then you can look fear in the face and say, yeah, what else you got? And that, that I mean, I think that's the best. Now, professionally, there's an answer too. So emotionally, it's, it's all about facing fear and seeing what you're capable of. Hmm. And that way, I'm, I guess I'm making it sound a little like a Jedi thing, right? Like Jedis are all about like, what is the, the most you can do? Professionally, I think it's, it's outstanding. This depends a little bit on what you do for a job. But one of the examples I always give, I've realized that one of my previous jobs, it was a decent sized company. I basically only interacted with the five or six people I worked with every day. And then occasionally there would be an all hands meeting or I get presented to by someone in another department. And what I realized is that the entirety of how good I felt like the person was at their job was how well they presented to me. I remember one time there was a designer who got promoted. I was shocked because she was not a good presenter. And I thought to myself, what are they promoting her for? Well, I took a step back and I realized, oh, because her job is design, not speaking. (laughs) But that, that was the moment where I realized the perceived value of someone who communicates while goes through the roof. Someone can be mediocre at their job and a great presenter, and it, it boosts them in the, the minds of most people as being better at that job than they really are. Now, I'm not to be clear, I, I think it'd be better to be good at your job and good at presenting, not mediocre at your job. Right? But if you can communicate well, that boosts your value so much. And then people who own their own companies always rave about the brand opportunity, the brand building opportunity from someone who communicates well and who tells a story well. Uh, one of my favorite examples is I don't know if Joshua Becker. I don't know if that's someone that you know or not, but he's um, becoming minimalist. This is his website. He's a pretty great presenter. He tells a story in particular that has resonated with people on such a deep level. And I was asking him about it. I said, how, how important do you feel like that story is in your success? And he said something to the extent of most of his success can be tied back to people loving that story and that being the end to understanding him. Now he still has to do a good job after that, which he does. But I just bring this up because if to tie it all together, someone who presents well in Joshua's case tells a story really well, that's someone that your audience is drawn towards. That's usually a good thing. I mean, I think we can we can think of the dangers of it in the other direction too, but people who present well, that's usually a good thing to have an audience that feels like they're connected to you. Well, um, I'm actually glad that you brought up the, the, the Josh Becker telling the story because, um, you know, I've followed you for a while. We've been friends for a while. And I know that you do talk a lot about storytelling. And I don't know if people always think of presenting or public speaking and storytelling. But can you talk a little bit about that, like the value of storytelling or what that even means? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think the 
speeches, sermons, presentations, keynotes, whatever, whatever realm of speaking you're thinking of, the stuff you're most likely to remember are stories, sound bites, and things that surprise you. Right. And a lot of times stories can be all of those things, but come on, people remember stories. I mean, if you, if you think about our history, rewind to the world before TikTok and before YouTube and before iPhones and before laptops and before personal computers and before typewriter and before Quill and ink. It's like, where do, where, where is a lot of this stuff coming from? It's someone told a story to someone else. And it, and I just, I, I think that story is so portable as a means of communicating a concept as a means of, I mean, marketing, frankly. Yeah. Story by some, by some studies, story is 22 times more effective than just sharing facts. Oh, Sounds crazy, wow. but I think it makes sense. Um, story is one of the most powerful things that you can do. And I think what most, I think most people do an okay job of it. And if that's, if that's you, I want to really encourage you to try to master it because if you can master it, then people will tell those stories to other people. So in, in other words, if I tell a story really well, Matt's like, man, that's a really good story. So now Matt gets home and he tells some people that same story. Like it's so portable. I don't have to be the one that's doing that all the time. Versus if you're sharing a lot of facts, I, I, I probably do have to do a lot of that myself. So storytelling, I just think is so important and we really need to work on mastering how to tell a good story. So, so <laughs> right. So then that's the question. <laughs> I'm like, there's an obvious next question. Yeah. You, want me to you, just ask you did this, yeah. <laughs> you brought this up. Yeah. So like that's, that, that brings us to the next question. What are some of the essentials then uh, of a great story? There's, there's a lot. And listen, there, there are podcasts that are entirely yeah, yeah. about stories. <laughs> the moth is like that. Um, there's one in Alaska. Gosh, I forget what it's called, but there's one that's like wonderful. It's, it's straight stories from the Alaskan bush. I love listening to that one too. And again, I hear those things and I can, I get home and like, Jess, my wife's Jess, Jess, I heard the craziest story today. And I, I just tell her that. And this guy in Alaska who experienced it himself when he was fishing has no idea that I ever did that. Right. But that's the power of it. Okay. I'm going to boil it down to three things that I think are a great starting point. Great. So my assumption right now is if you're listening, you have some good story that has happened to you at a point in your life. I don't think that's, I don't <laughs> think that's asking too much that if you're at least like 13, you've had some good story in your life. Okay. So what I would encourage you to do now is to think of three things. The acronym is TED. It took me like years and years to realize a guy who helps people with TED talks that there's an acronym TED that I was telling people. I didn't realize that's what it's spelled. Okay. So TED. So tension, editing, detail. Tension. In life, I, I think most of the times when we're bored, it's because we're feeling an absence of tension in our lives. Now, I think that's good from day to day. I don't know if you're sitting there at your office in Houston, just totally tense the whole time. It sounds really tiring. But in a story, we can't have the audience being bored. So in a story, we need to ramp up the tension. What that means is that we need to have parts where the audience is sitting there saying to themselves, oh my gosh, wait, that really happened to you? Oh, what happens next? Then what? Then what? Then what? So some ways to ramp up the tension are asking questions, uh, not giving away what's going to happen, giving the audience a drop or dropping the audience into our brain a little bit and telling them, here's what I was thinking when that happened. Those are great ways of ramping up the tension of a speech. 
I can go into more detail, but those are great starting points. The E is for editing, and specifically with that, I mean editing the ending, editing the ending. A lot of times, people tell a story. Well, let me put it this way. I think the worst words in storytelling are, I guess you had to be there. <laughs> so why does, why does, well, we've all probably done that at some point. Maybe you didn't literally say those words, but why, did, why does that happen? Why does I guess you had to be there happen? What would you think? Because the the person didn't react the way you thought they would. Like the uh-huh, totally. they didn't take uh-huh. the story away. Yep. Yeah, yep. they didn't share the same emotional experience mm-hmm. that that you did as you lived it, right? Yes. And Matt, you hit on a key term there, which is emotional experience. When we're telling a story, we're trying to provide the audience with an emotional experience. And a lot of times that's going to involve editing the story so that it ends with that emotional experience. And what's tricky about that is in your head, the story may go beyond the part that you edit it to. So as an example, when I turned 40, my, uh, my wife and I, along with some friends, rented this awesome house in Hawaii. I mean, it was choice. We prepared way in advance. Money wasn't an object. It had been on an episode of Hawaii Five-0. It was five doors down from the old Magnum PI, like the Tom Selleck Magnum PI house. Like it was awesome. So we're there for my 40th birthday. Five days later, I'll wake up in the morning, look at my phone first as I'm required to do. My wife does the same thing. Um, she gets a push notification on her phone that tells us that a ballistic missile is incoming from Korea to Hawaii. And I look at my phone and I don't have that. And then I go ask everybody else in the house about that. Well, nine people had that push notification. I did not. I don't know if Apple just knew like, Mike is not a survivor. Let's spare him <laughs> his own little naive world. Like he, he's good. I don't know if that's what happened or not. So I've got a whole story about that. I can keep telling it to you, but ultimately there's a problem, which is, you know, that I survive. Right. <laughs> Obviously I survive. So I need to, I need to edit that story in such a way that it still provides emotional impact for my audience. And with most stories that we tell, we need to think of how we can do that same thing. Because for us, when we've experienced something, it's already a good story. We've experienced it for ourselves. But for the audience, it's the first time they're ever hearing it. So if we make it go too far, then we've missed out on a huge opportunity to leave them with this great emotional experience. So that's my, the E is for edit. And it's trying to edit for emotional impact. And then the D is for detail, use of detail. Now, this is a tricky one because bad storytellers use detail and good storytellers <laughs> use detail. Right. Uh, I don't know. Rachel, do you have someone in your life who's, you don't have to say who this is, but do you have someone in your life who's a bad storyteller? Don't say me. Don't say I, me. Don't say me. I do. <laughs> I do. I love this person, but I'm always like, this. you, you gave me so much that had nothing to do with this story. <laughs> so what... What's it sound like when that person who will remain nameless tells the story? Uh, it was nine o'clock and I was, I think it was a Thursday and the sun was out, but I couldn't find my shoes. And, and I'm like, I don't, I don't understand what this story's about. <laughs> it's so good. Cause you, as the person listening, you think to yourself, okay, they can't find their shoes. That's going to matter later. Right. 
It doesn't matter. Later, and it doesn't, doesn't because the person just had lost their car keys. Like that's the problem. Like it, it, <laughs> <laughs> right. So what, what's happening there is that person is reliving the story in their own mind. And to them, adding in all that extra detail about it's nine at night on Thursday and I couldn't find my shoes. It's actually a little bit fun because to them it's, it's, it's reliving it. It's like, Oh, I remember sure. I couldn't find my shoes that day. But for an audience member, you're sitting there like, what does that have to do with anything? Right. When we're telling a story, we are actually trying to drop the audience into the story. It's a bit like, I forget what it's called, but in Harry Potter, the, the thing where you could pluck memories and mm-hmm. drop people into them. Pens- the pensive. pensive. Yeah. I don't know how to say it. Pensive. Yeah. It's a bit like that. That's what we're trying to do. But the problem is the audience hasn't lived through it before. So we don't know what's important, what's not. And telling the story more than once, not terribly effective usually. So here's what we need to do. At the crux of this speech, like the important part, the part that Matthew Dix in his book Story Worthy calls the five second, uh, the five seconds that the speech is, the five second slice of life that the speech is really about. At that point, we need to have one or two vivid details that allow the audience to envision them being in the scene. Hmm. One or two vivid details that allow the audience to picture them being in the scene. Hmm. So if I'm looking or if I couldn't find my shoes, that needs to matter either at that exact moment or a little bit later in the story that, that, that detail needs to matter. Uh, But I think a, a better detail would be more like that Rachel's person was sitting down to dinner and something was about to happen. Something was about to happen. And he was just about to reach for his glass of wine when blank happened. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause that, that's something the audience can picture. Sure. Yeah. So one or two vivid details is usually helpful there. That's great. Yeah. That's great. That's helpful. And something, you know, it's something I left out and this would, this would go in the category of creating tension at that important moment. So most people tell stories in the past tense, which is not bad, but I, I want to give people permission to switch to present tense too. Hmm. So for the really, really important point, switch to present tense. Again, we're trying to, to Harry Potter, the story, let them experience it as if it's their own present tense, at least at that important crux of the story part, present tense will be better at that than past tense would. So, so Mike, shif- shifting gears just a little bit, you know, one of the other things that I hear people say is really important in presenting is, is not just embracing the power of story, but, but also one of the words I, I hear is uh, authenticity. Mm. That, that, um, that whether you're the one speaking, you, you know, people will say, I want to, I want to be perceived uh, as authentic as I present, or, or people say they want authenticity from, from the person that's communicating to them. My, my question is always like, I get that, I, I guess, but I'm, I'm not totally sure what you mean when you say you want someone <laughs> to be authentic as a communicator or you're aiming for authenticity, because it also seems to me like the second you try to aim for authenticity, well, there goes, there goes authenticity because yep. it feels a bit contrived. But so, so what are people, what, what do you think people want when they say they want an auth, someone to be authentic as a communicator? I, I think they want a glimpse of what Matt or Rachel or Mike is really like, I think, mm. I think that's what that actually means. Mm. Cause you're right. It, well, sure. Authenticity, but what that really is contrived authenticity you're to right, your right. point. So that's where, that's where certain things like quirks of your life can be really powerful. It depends a little bit on what the speech is about, of course, but as an example, uh, this is another thing where, pe- where you get known for 
quirks. Hmm. Most of my friends are people who have heard me give a speech. I guess it depends a little bit on what speech it is, but most people hear at some point that I, I think tomatoes are, I mean, I even put this in my wedding vows. Like I, I said to my wife, I'm like, one of my vows was, I don't want to change you except for one thing. I want you to stop eating tomatoes. They taste like poison. <laughs> so that, that comes out a lot. Right. So I think it, I think it's more quirks. Yeah. Uh, if it's, if it's a bit more serious talk, like obviously that's a, who cares about tomatoes when the talk's super serious, but if it's a bit more of a serious talk, then we want to see a little bit of who you are as a person and how something affects you. So a lot of times the, the term vulnerability gets attached to that. Uh, that would be a good way of thinking of it. But yeah, it's funny that you should say that because when people say you need to be your authentic self on stage, I'm always a little bit like, what <laughs> does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. So when, when I talk to folks about you know, communication or pr- presenting, uh, espe- especially people who do this with, with some regularity. Like when I talk to, yeah. to other pastors, uh, w- one of the things they immediately pivot to is, is process specifically mm. one about the writing process, one about the, the delivery process. The, the question about the writing process is manuscript or outline and then delivery it's memorized or read from my notes. Um, yeah. do, do you, do you have a, a preference that you coach people towards as, as they prepare for a speech, whether they, sh- you know, should they write, should they write it all out word for word, or should they write out a functional outline? Should they memorize it? Should they, yeah. should they be unafraid to have notes that they reference? W- what do you usually suggest? Here's my answer. If something is going to be manuscript and memorized, that better be a pretty darn important talk or a speech you are going to give a lot. And is that because it just takes a lot of time to get to that spot? Yes. Yes. And frankly, the wording is rarely that important. Hmm. So I I get the instinct. It protects you against forgetting what you're going to say, but you also need to trust yourself a bit more. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, The, the audience, it is very unlikely that they are literally hanging on every word, especially if you're talking for 30 or 40 minutes. So I don't think as an exercise, it is bad to manuscript it, but feeling like you were a slave to that manuscript is a problem. Yeah. You know, when do people really need things worded perfectly? It's like when there's been a lawyer involved. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We're in court. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. And outside of that, um, I guess if you're in politics, maybe wording it perfectly Mm -hmm. might be in that category. Uh, Matt, when you're going through certain parts of the Bible, that could be helpful to yeah. write out specifically people, you know, but I, I think it's rare that you need it to be word for word memorized the whole time. I do think, I do think that as an exercise, writing it out word for word is good because you better understand what your own idea is. And I do think rehearsing that way is great too. But once you're on stage, the audience doesn't know what you're supposed to say. I think a lot of us get stuck because when we were in fourth grade, we were forced to memorize something and the teacher sat in the back of the room. I remember sixth grade <laughs> is what actually jumps to mind for me. Miss Fulginetti, who I loved, she made us memorize this poem called the Jabberwocky. She sat in the back of the room with a purple pen. Purple was, I think scientifically it was like, well, red freaks people out. So let's use purple. <laughs> sat in the back of the room with a purple pen and just, you could see her mark off if you got a word wrong. I get why that was a good exercise in sixth grade, but I'm not in sixth grade anymore. There's no teacher in the back of the room. Most people are not hanging on every word. What they're, what's really happening is they're trying to understand what I'm, what I'm saying. 
and they're trying to connect it to their own world. And it's, it's rare that the wording needs to be that perfect. So we'd be a lot better off knowing what we're going to say, rehearsing it several times. But then when we get on out on stage, except for those really important parts, just speak as to what your outline told you versus word for word, this 20,000, this 20,000 word document that you wrote out. And, and you said something important there that I think a lot of people skip over um, when, when, whether they're presenting to a large group or a small group, right? And that's the rehearse piece. So, yeah. so speak just briefly to the importance of actually like not letting the time you step up in front of that group of five or that group of 5,000 be the <laughs> first time that these words ever attempt to leave your, your mouth, right? Like what's the importance of rehearsing oh a talk? I, okay. I've got a couple of things to say here. So first of all, think about when you got married, I realize not everybody listening to this is, has been married, but I'm guessing you've been to a wedding at some point. Day before the wedding, oftentimes is something called the rehearsal dinner, which is preceded by the wedding rehearsal. Okay, what are we rehearsing here? <laughs> we're rehearsing walking, standing, kissing the bride. Like those are the <laughs> things that get rehearsed. Mm-hmm. And that's for the thing the next day where those things are really unlikely to matter. Yeah. I mean, if I if I stood in the wrong place and I'm not the groom. Nobody's sitting there like, yeah, did you see that third groomsman? He was off by a few feet. Like, no way is that happening. But we're willing to rehearse for something important like that. And again, walking, or walking, standing, kissing the bride. Like, those are things we're willing to rehearse. Then we get to a speech that's super important that might make or break our career. And we just decide, well, I'm going to write it out. And I'll just, I'll just either wing it when I get on stage or I'm just going to count on myself to know it because mm-hmm. I typed it, even though I was not willing to rehearse out loud. So obviously... When I say it that way, that sounds silly. Why would anybody do that? And yet people do it all the time. All the time. There's a, I want to point people to an episode of my podcast because I thought it was so interesting. I I interviewed Victoria Harrison from Charity Water, or formerly of Charity Water, whose husband, Scott, is like the world's greatest public speaker. And I I say that without embellishment. I mean, he is fantastic. Before I ever met him, or the first time I remember seeing him speak, I'm like, who is this person? My assumption was that Scott was that well rehearsed. And then I found out from Victoria, no, (laughs) he just gets on stage and he's that good. Well, that's, I mean, that's one in a million. That is, that's usually someone with a theater background or an improv background. who can do this. I don't know if Scott actually has those in his background, but he's fantastic. So Victoria's married to him. Her assumption is that's what speakers do. They just, know their stuff. They walk out on stage. They're not phased by anything and they deliver it brilliantly and they nail all their stories and they're able to connect with the audience emotionally. Her assumption is that's what most speakers do. This of course is not true, but that's what she thinks. Scott one day tabs her to present. I think it was presenting some numbers to investors. Victoria, who's not a seasoned speaker at the time, gets up there and, and freezes. I mean, like you read about like the, like the horror stories. She cannot, words cannot leave her mouth. Mm. She's just standing there, not talking. And it hits a point where it's, it's obviously not a ploy or a trick. She's that freaked out. Scott has to get on stage and, and rescues her. And then Victoria's, I mean, she's done for for life, right? But to her credit, she thought to herself, no, uh-uh. I'm, I'm going to be able to do this. So phase one for her, was simply to be able to stand in front of people and read a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So phase one in Victoria getting better was 
<laughs> I forget what, what group she was presenting to, but she went to a church basement and she read, I think it was just like a poem. She read aloud, didn't make any eye contact with people, but I was phase one in her recovery. And she kept doing things like that until she met me. This is true. I never knew this, but she met me and I was presenting to a group where she was in the audience and it was the night before. And I told her I had to go because I needed to rehearse. And she, that was the moment she said, wait a minute, you rehearse. I've given this presentation a lot, but it was like changing little parts of it. And I just wanted to make sure I got it right. That's when she realized, oh, rehearsal matters. Mm. If you think about it, what you're really doing when you're rehearsing is you're getting all the kinks out of the way. Yeah. You're getting the nervousness out of the way. And if you rehearse it enough, you hit a point where it's like, I'm not going to screw this up. So then you get to walk out on stage feeling fully confident. And that's the best. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to be present with the audience. If 50% of your brain is devoted to panicking and figuring out what's next on the outline. So Mike, as we, as we land the plane here, uh, tell us more about your podcast, uh, about the people that you talk to and, um, the subjects that you cover. I mean, it's, it's about giving the best speech ever. Uh, Yeah. 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 So, so tell us more about it. Yeah, totally. So my idea was that, you know, there are all these public speaking books out there. You'll see these lists of, this is the best one. This is the best one. This is the best one. I think there are lots of great thoughts out there on speaking, but I think there's not enough honesty around the fact that people do things differently. So my theory was I'd love to interview people that I know to be good speakers and find out how they got there and how they do it. It's been really interesting. We've interviewed some people who are, who have confessed to real anxiety and overcoming it. So Victoria is a great example of that. Uh, Mark Magna is a great example of that. Mark Magna is a football player. Like he played for Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick. Why is that guy nervous? Yeah. <laughs> Cause he is. Yeah. Cause like it's one thing for him to do that. It's another to give speeches. So it's been, it's been great to hear from people who are anxious and overcame it. It's been great to hear from people who have done it thousands and thousands of times and are on stage and they can simultaneously deliver a great talk and think about what the grocery list needs to be. So those are the, those are the Donald Miller type people. Those are the James Clear type people. I've also done something and I, I love doing this is bringing a speaker on to dissect their specific speech. Oh, yeah. So recently I had Tim Shearer and we were actually able to play some of the audio from his keynote and I was able to just stop it and say, okay. So we, we listened to the introduction of him and I say, stop right here. What are you thinking? You're about to go on stage. What's going through your head. So I've, I just love being able to do that, to dissect what makes for the best speeches people deliver. Sometimes people are able to give me the worst speech. Victoria certainly was, (laughs) but hearing about the best speech that people deliver the worst speeches, but really what their process is like, and then every every episode ends with a speaking tip and a story that the audience gets to hear from that from that speaker's life. That's great. That's and, wonderful. And it's called Best Speech. The podcast. Yeah, it's called. Oh, and thank you. That's the thing I should actually tell people. Yes. Yeah. Best Speech Podcast. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, as we finish, do you have a best speech? Do you have one where you're like, this was this is an example of a time where I just killed it, and I love remembering this. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. thousand percent, yeah. And that was the, I used to work for a company called Duarte. They have, I don't know if they still do this, but at the time they had a once a year thing they called speak up, which is that employees went on. It's pretty cool. Employees would go through the process as if they were a client. So I would, I would work with a content person and a designer. I had a designer put together this awesome looking slide deck that I could never do myself. And then I got to present it in front of the whole company. 
and I remember, I mean, I, I remember being nervous because, I mean, it's a company that does presentations and my job, you know, I did training. So I was, it was assumed I was going to be the really good one presenting, <laughs> which, so I felt like I needed to do that. Yeah. I rehearsed more than I usually would. I mean, I remember distinctly, I listened to like my running mix, like the same mix I would use to try to make myself run faster. I used that to rehearse because I wanted to make sure my energy was good when I came on stage. I was just trying to trick my brain into mm -hmm. muscle memory type thing, having all that energy. And I got out on stage and it was, I mean, it's what I said earlier. I was able to be completely present with the audience because I knew the speech inside and out. That's I great. knew how to calm myself down and I knew that they were rooting for me. Mm. And uh, I, I mean, that speech was, I think, 11 minutes. I would have stayed there forever. Okay. I mean, that just, that feeling when you have delivered your best thing, when you've looked fear in the face and said, hey, I'm good. And then walk off the stage to like this thunderous applause, especially when you know it's not obligatory, but it's, mm -hmm. you, know, you knew it was a good speech. And mm -hmm. I mean, that is, that is the best. And I'm 44 years old. It's been quite a while since I've played in an in a athletic event or done like a theater production. Those are, those are basically the places in life where you get that level of applause. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean to make it out to be all about applause because I think we all know the dangers of that, but it is pretty cool knowing that you did your best yeah. and seeing people recognize it. That's awesome. Absolutely. Mike, thank you so much for yeah. joining us and just talking with us today. This was a lot of fun. That's great. Oh my gosh, I could do it all day. Yeah. And y'all have been great hosts and thanks for participating with me. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thanks, Mike. Let's do it again, man. All right, I'm in. Rachel, I love Mike Bacchione. He's such a delight to talk to, isn't he? Isn't he so, and, and, and he's so generous and he's just like talking to a friend. Yeah, yeah. Like I love and, having him on. Yeah, and, and, for, and for a guy who's such a great and polished um, public speaker, he's so easy to talk to and oh, yeah. relatable and real when you sit down and have a conversation like this. So yeah. um, I was just reminded of just how much of a delight it is to talk to him and to, to have him as a friend of ours and of this program. So, so Rachel, a uh, couple big takeaways for you. What did you get from Mike's talk with us about talking? You know, um, there's not a lot of times in my life where I'm like these days sitting and giving speeches or having to present in front of people. And and then as he was talking, I was like, oh yeah, like I had to speak in front of a lot of people at my mom's funeral a few weeks ago or That's a few right. months ago right. now. Yeah. And um, when I sat down and I prepared that, I remember thinking Mike said, make sure you practice and rehearse. Mm. And so just, I appreciate that we went that way because it made all the difference. Um, and the value of like, you've got to rehearse like, 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 I don't know. What, it seems so simple, but it, it really isn't this idea of like get up and practice it and like stand up in front yeah. of a mirror, or record yourself or just read through it out loud. Um, how valuable that is anytime you're going to be presenting anything important. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that, and that's so, that's so true. And we, we got to touch on it in the interview, you know, so many like young preachers and presenters that I work mm -hmm. with, cause we have a, a number of them, uh, come through our church and things. And, and one of the things we always work on is preaching and presenting the, the number of, of, of 
professional public speakers that I'll talk to who never rehearse before they yeah. step up in front of a group is just startling to me. <laughs> right. And I think I think whether you're going to present in front of the, you know, the Cub Scout group or whether you're presenting at a conference, you need to let make sure that the time you step up on that platform, whatever that platform is, is not the first time that you are trying to give that speech or communicate it in some way, shape, or form. And so so the the, the essential nature of rehearsing uh, at least a little bit is is so critical. So so critical. Yeah. Anything else stand out to you? You know, um, this this may seem like a minor thing, but when he was talking about like everybody thinks they talk too fast, and he's like, you don't talk too fast. Like that's not what you really mean. And I sat in on a virtual class the other night, and there were like six of us there, and three different times people were like, "Sorry, I talk too fast." And realizing that you don't actually mean you talk too fast because he's right. I don't know about you. I listen to podcasts on like two times. Like your brain can catch up. What yeah. you mean is you're you're not giving space to like let your words breathe for a second yeah. and let the audience catch up. And just that I, I envision this idea of like giving a talk and you're in front of people and taking a moment just to take a breath and think. And I, I just thought that was really refreshing. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. I also loved that he reminded us of the the power of story. That's yeah. so much of a great talk to a large group or a small group can be just telling one great story. And his advice that that TED acronym mm -hmm. is is gold. It really is. So <laughs> let, let's see if you and I can remember right now. It is uh, the T is for tension, right? Tension. Yeah, mm -hmm. like the stakes need to be high. Like why right. why is this matter? And help help the help the listener get into your head and understand why the stakes are high in this moment. Right. Uh, and then the E is is editing. 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 Yep. Right. So make sure that the uh the 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 most important point comes at the end, right? Right. And then the devil is in the D for details, details. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I I, th I thought that was that was that was so so helpful so helpful yeah just yeah. tell a great story and and telling a great story comes down to in so many ways those three things yeah I have to I have to add this caveat my husband's going to listen to this and it's going to sound like I was talking about him being a terrible storyteller giving details it was not him it was not it him wasn't, that I was it, talking to and you, it wasn't about. me it wasn't you it was okay, somebody go. else that um, might listen to this but that I love very dearly it's a relative <laughs> and I just it, he is infamous for just being like gosh. You get going, and I don't know what what the story is supposed to be about. And right, so I just had right. to say, it was not about Jeremy. It was not about my husband. He's a great storyteller, incredibly charming. But um, yeah, so I just wanted to add that on. So yeah, I can vouch, <laughs> I can vouch for Jeremy as being yeah. a great storyteller. Thank you. A great story. All right. So okay. so sound bites. Like, what's your big takeaway from this conversation with Mike Pacquiao? Your make it simple sound bite, Rachel. What's yours? My make it simple sound bite. So what hit me in the feels, and what I'm going to take away from this is what he said about um. Remember, your audience is usually for you. Like, mm. um, and I know he said before the example of, you know, a comedian doesn't get up and the audience is like, man, I hope he bombs. Like, no, you're there because you want to laugh and you want to be a right. part of this with you. And I think that's just a valuable thing to re remember in life. Like, in general, as you go about your day or you're presenting at work or whatever, the people mm -hmm. you're talking to are for you. Um, right. And, and I, th I just thought that was really good. Yeah, that's so. huge. That that is so huge. That's so huge. Uh, for me, um, it was it was what he said about um, about if you never take the opportunity to to mm -hmm. to give a speech to present in front of a group, group of other people, you, you don't really know what you're fully capable of, um, and you also miss out on that feeling of facing something that you're afraid of, yeah. and uh, being confident in the face of that and being successful in the face of that. 
I mean, if so many people do, you know, have a fear of public speaking, uh, what you have in that opportunity, whether it's front, in front of a small group at work or in front of a large group in some other setting, you have the opportunity to recognize that fear, face it, overcome it, and then experience the thrill of communicating something that matters to you mm. to people that matter to you. And uh, so I just appreciate that. If you never take this opportunity, if you always shoo it away, you, you never quite know what you're capable of. You are, in fact, capable of facing that fear and communicating something important. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it is. It is. Mike is great. Uh, we want to hear from you, though. We want to hear what, what was your takeaway from this conversation with Mike Pacchione about public speaking. And the best way to let us know that is to head over to our Instagram. Our Instagram is at mpopovitz. It's at M-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S. You'll see a post about this episode. And on that post featuring Mike Pacquion, just leave a comment. Let us know what you think. Let us know what your takeaway was. Or what's your question for the next time we have Mike on the podcast? Because I have a feeling there will be a next time. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, me too. All right, Rachel. So um, go out there and em embrace whatever public speaking opportunity comes your way this week. All right? Got it. And you do a great job on Sunday. <laughs> I will, I will, I will do my best. I will right. do my best. All right. Let's, uh, let's do it again. Shall we? Let's do it. Thanks for helping us make it simple. The show is produced by MPM. Our editor is Marsha Lambeth. Artwork for the show was designed by Brenton Little. Do you have a topic you'd like us to tackle or an expert you'd like us to chat with? Send your ideas to info at mattpopovitz.com. That's info at M-A-T-T-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S.com. And if you'd like more information about Make It Simple or MPM, just head to mattpopovitz.com.